Hi, I'm Carrie. And I'm Emily. And we are the voices of Tarbis. In a nutshell, we travel to different historical places and events and we blog about them. But we wanted to try a different medium, so we're branching out into podcasts. Each week we'll have a chat about different periods of history, important events and extraordinary people in one way or another. And we'll round it all off with a relevant, ridiculous death. So, sit back, grab a drink and enjoy Tarbis After Hours. Hello and welcome to this week's Tarbis After Hours. Now, I'm going to say in no small way, I'm excited for this week. Yeah, you definitely know more about this family than I did. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say I knew next to nothing. I have been fascinated by the Borgia family since I was a kid. I mean, the best way to describe them is how I described them to you earlier. It's like the family tree from Once Upon a Time mixed with the political intrigues and violence of Game of Thrones. Essentially, if you put it all together, mash it up, you've got the Borgias in a nutshell. Um, Who were they? Well... We'll get to the, the main infamous family in a second, but it's probably better to start from the beginning or nearest, damn it. Um, they originated from Borgia in the formerly Aragon region of Spain. Before you go any further, Carrie, I think we need to do a disclaimer. Yes, we definitely do. We are very, very British, Ex- you might have noticed. Exceedingly so, and there's some words, names and countries that we've got to say that are not, and... We, we don't cause any offence. Yeah, we, we, if our pronunciations are incorrect, by all means, please like write to us. Uh, you can leave a review on iTunes, correct us. Um, just please don't take offence. We don't mean any. If we mispronounce it, we're sorry, which, which but we, we are will. trying. We, yeah. we will, we will. Uh, but we are trying, so... We are very trying. Yeah, we are. <laughs> so sorry to interrupt, Carrie, but I thought before you started saying some of the words that I can read, just, you should probably... Uh... Yeah. That's that's fair, I, I completely yeah. understand. So thank thank you for jumping in there. Um right. The first Borgia that we're gonna talk about here is Alphonse de Borgia, who was the first main player. Um he was made cardinal in fourteen forty four and he was then elected Pope in fourteen fifty five and took the name Calixtus the Third. So this is the first Borgia Pope. Um to put this in context, this is round about the time of the start of the Wars of the Roses in England. So I love how history links up like that. So it's about that time. Um, he was the uncle of one Rodrigo Borgia, who was a cardinal at that point, made cardinal at the tender age of 25, along with his older brother. Now that here comes the juicy bit. Right, OK. Um, Rodrigo and his brother, but we're not going to go into detail of his brother. Um, Rodrigo got into trouble a lot for his debauchery. He was told off by his papal uncle Alfonso um, for his actions, and not least of these was his affair with arguably his most famous mistress, because he had quite a few, um, <laughs> Venozza de Catani. Uh, through his relationship with Venozza, Rodrigo fathered four children, and so was born the Borgia dynasty that we all know and love. Maybe. Yeah, first was Pierre Luigo, or Pedro Louis, first Duke of Gandia. Um, he disguised himself as a fighter during the the Grander War. Uh, this took place between 1482 and 1491. Um, he married, if I remember rightly, Maria Enriquez de Luna. Yep, uh, but he died young in either 1488 or 1491. Record-keeping wasn't that great Yeah, back then. like If you could write, it wasn't always written down correctly, so... No. 
admittedly, he wasn't Venosa's son, mm-hmm. but he was still an important part of the dynasty, um, as his widow later went on to marry his younger half-brother, and uh, he left a rather sizable dowry in his will for his half-sister. And now on to his half-siblings, who are the famous ones. We're going to start with, with, with the big guy, the big cheese. <laughs> After Rodrigo, the, the next biggest one, Cesare Borgia. Bit of a babe. I mean, um, no. <laughs> but yeah. No, he, he, he was dodgy, he was corrupt, he was... Murderous. Villainous, debaucherous, possibly incestuous, we don't know. But he was a, a, a babe. In, yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm fangirling a little bit. Um, he was born in either 1475 or 1476, sources do vary. Um, he was a ruthless warrior, a great general, and he was actually the model for Machiavelli's prince. Um, he was the first person in recorded history to resign a cardinalcy. He gave it up. Yeah, he gave it up. Basically, his him and his brother, um, Rodrigo, had different paths for them. His brother was going to be in the army, and Cesare was going to go down the priesthood, eventually cardinal, then pope. Um, he was made a cardinal by Rodrigo shortly after he became pope, but it's not the life that Cesare wanted. He preferred the military life. He was very, very jealous of his brother because of that. Um, he, after his brother's death he gave up the cardinal see um he wanted to further his military career and uh he had quite a knack for attaining power um and that he he was very very good he was very ruthlessly minded and um, that lasted up until his father's death um come next so the next brother was uh, giovanni or juan borgia mm-hmm. uh, born possibly 1476 um he married maria Enrique de Luna, yeah. after the death of half brother of her half-brother, Pierre Luigo, and was made the second Duke of Gandia, Duke of Sessa, Grand Constable of Naples, Governor of St. Peter's, and... Gonfalonieri, I think? Yeah, we're trying. We're trying. <laughs> and Captain General of the Church. Okay. Um, he was murdered on the 14th of June, 1497. Okay. Um, and whoever murdered him wanted him dead. Yeah. Um, he was found the following morning, so on the 15th, in the River Tiber with his, with his throat cut and nine stab wounds to his torso. So it was pretty final. Yeah. Never wanted him dead, wanted to make sure he ain't getting back up out of that river. I mean, the, there was a lot of rumours around it and people believed that it was it was his brother Cesare. Other people believed that it was like um, a... A sexual liaison gone wrong. It was the, the lover of someone else. It was one of the rival families. It was never actually proved, and it sent his death sent Rodrigo into a huge spiral of grief to the point where he locked himself away in the Castel di Sant'Angelo, and he refused to speak to anybody. Launched this massive investigation, and then all of a sudden, one day, boom, the investigation stopped. He so found out it was his son. He found out. Yeah, I I reckon he found out it was. It was Cesare. It was Cesare. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's quite likely. Or it could have... It's also been attributed to the lover of one of his sisters, Lucrezia. Now, Lucrezia was the third child, and she's almost as infamous... I say infamous, not famous, as her brother Cesare. Um, she was born in 1480 and held the normally cardinal-held title of Governor of Spilito. Oh. So she was a woman, but a governor, which was quite interesting for the time. Not governess. No. 
um, because the the title was I mean a governess was a teacher at that point um, governor was power so she she wouldn't have had that power but because of Rodrigo she was able to hold it um, she married three times firstly to Giovanni Sforza and then to Alfonso of Aragon and lastly to Alfonso de Les- Le- Alfonso the first d'Este got my words mixed up then got to put my teeth back in mm-hmm. um she her third marriage was possibly her happiest one her first one was annulled and her second one was murdered by cesare he he's a bad boy yes he is yes he is <laughs> and now the final son yep um because as i said there was four of them yep so the last borgia was geoffrey um, he was born either 1481 or 1482. Again, sources do vary. Um, he was actually married off at a young age um, to Sancha of Aragon. Um, he was only 12 at the time and she was 16. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a political alliance. This was arranged between Rodrigo Borgia and Alfonso II of Naples, her father, mm-hmm. to get papal recognition of the claim Alfonso had to the throne of Naples. Yeah. And so it was done... Primarily for political reasons. Yeah, I mean, this was this was one of the things that Rodrigo did very, very well. He was very politically savvy. Um, I mean, he was he himself was elected pope, um, and he took on the moniker Alexander the Sixth in fourteen ninety two. Much the chagrin of some of his fellow cardinals, he he was not well liked mainly because he was Spanish, and obviously the, this was Italy at the time. The Spaniards were kind of cast out because there's, there's been a long history of Spain and Spain were under the rule of the Ottomans. They were um, they were actually um, an Islamic country for quite a while, and um, there was still quite a lot of a lot of animosity there between Italy and Spain. Um, reports circulated that he had bribed and threatened his way through the College of Cardinals to be elected, which is hardly surprising as the Church was largely corrupt at this point. I'm sorry to say, but it was still considered illegal. So if it was proved, he could have been, um, like, what was the word I'm looking at? Impeached as Pope-ish. Um, he had his fair share of enemies, obviously, because of that reason. Um, one of the main claims against the family is that they were Murano Jews, which were Jews from the Iberian Peninsula. Um, though those claims were never actually proven, they were quite unsubstantiated. Um, and a lot of their enemies were fairly powerful, and they were fairly powerful Italian families such as the Medici, who are possibly my second favourite Italian family, and the Schwarzer. Um, so in order to keep themselves alive, not just in power, but their, their lives were at stake here, um, Rodrigo had to make such powerful and clever alliances and also ditch the ones that weren't working without any kind of remorse. Yeah, um, he married off his daughter, Lucretia, to Giovanni Schwarzer. Uh, this was to try and bring that family into the fold. It wasn't successful. Schwarzer opposed Rodrigo and he fled, leaving him to force through a divorce on the grounds of non-consummation. So basically saying that they never did it. Mm-hmm. And back then that was obviously grounds for annulment because a marriage wasn't legally binding until it had been consummated. Um, at the same time, he set up a marriage between Geoffrey and Sancha of Aragon. Though... Uh, Although she was reportedly the mistress of his two older brothers. Like Cesare and Giovanni both uh, both got in there before Joffrey could. Well, so Joffrey was 12. We, you say that, but it wasn't 
uncommon for people to be married at a very young age. I mean, I think Lucretia wasn't too too far ahead of that at the time, so it was it was quite common for political reasons for them to be married. However, taking your baby brother's wife as your plaything. Well, she jumped between all three, didn't she? To be fair, I mean, <laughs> yeah. You can't just blame the guy. She was, she was she, jumping through all three of the Borgia brothers. Yeah. Um, pretty much chief amongst amongst their enemies and a recurring name throughout the entire Borgia dynasty is Cardinal Giuliano della Rovere. Um, he was originally backed by King Ferdinand I of Naples, who was um, Sancha's uh, grandfather. Okay. Um, Rodrigo basically upset him by trying to give parts of Naples to his sons Gianni and jo- Giovanni and Joffrey. Um, the latter's married to Sancha, who was his granddaughter, brought peace with Naples. So here he's making a political alliance to try and get um, Clever. get friends here. Um, however, in a turn worthy of Game of Thrones intrigues, Rodrigo also made alliances with Charles VIII of France, who um, he was trying to back Ludovico Sforza's claim to the Duchy of Milan and further his own claim to the throne of Naples. Um, when King Ferdinand I of Naples died, he was succeeded by his son Alfonso II, who was Sancho's father. Um, Charles VIII of France then tried to further his claims to the Kingdom of Naples and that kind of forced Rodrigo to pick a side. It didn't really go well for him, um, but in picking a side, he sided with the French, and he allowed Charles VIII to pass peacefully through Rome, um, telling anybody who asked that the French king was on a crusade against the Ottoman Empire, which was a, a main threat at that time. So people believed him, this army marched through. However, it soon things started to heat up, and it soon turned out that this army passing peacefully was not an army, it was an invasion. Um, And at that point, Rodrigo panicked. He, again, shifted his alliance, and that didn't go well for him either. Um, The French teamed up with the Swartz and Colonna families, and they advanced on Rome. Um, Rodrigo managed to come to terms with Charles VIII, um, diplomatically, and he actually saved Rome from being sacked, which was a a no-mean feat. Um... Charles was then crowned King of Naples, but eventually he was beaten and retreated back to France in 1495. And Ferdinand II, um, who was crowned king and then deposed by Charles, he was returned to the throne of Naples. So he was sort of flitting back and forth, and it didn't really go well for him, but in the end he managed to sort it out. Um, At the same time, another... Um, another opposition started up, this time in Florence, which was at the time the the land of the Medici, um, and where Niccolò Machiavelli was, was resident as well. Um, you had Friar Girolamo Savonarola. Um, he was preaching out against the Borgia Pope, um, mainly against usury, which is lending money and giving it back with interest, which was something the um, the Jewish people were accused of a lot. Um, of debauchery, incest, basically you name it, Savonarola accused him of it. Yeah, the uh, the Florentine people, they eventually got fed up with the Savonarola. Is that right? Savonarola. There you go. However, um, he was put to death on the 23rd of May, 1498. 
Uh, Rumours swirled around the Borgia family of further sexual debauchery seemingly proved when Rodrigo took Guilla Labella Farnese. Yeah, Labella Farnese, as she was known. There you go. As his, you should just say all the, the words. <laughs> as his mistress. Um, but incest was also in accusations levelled at their door, particularly between Shazari and Lucretia. Mm-hmm. Um, whilst this was never technically proven... It has neither been solidly disproved. Yeah. So no one is prepared to say yes or no. Yeah. Um, But it does make for interesting, intense plot lines in fictional representations of the family, however. It is actually... It's it's used a lot, um, the whole whole idea of uh, the Cesare-Lucretia sort of relationship, which... I mean, it could have just been a close brother and sister relationship. I mean, he was the big brother, she was the little sister, you had to look out for her. Mm. Could have been more. The trailer know. you showed me of the Borgias earlier, though, they do seem a little bit too close. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to... To no anyone spoilers. who hasn't watched the show, I'm not going to spoil it. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. I, I would recommend giving it a go. Um, all the acting is superb. Um, but, yeah, no spoilers at this point. We'll, we'll get your reaction after you've watched it. Okay. Okay, um, after he resigned his position as cardinal, so this is after Giovanni's death or murder, let's, let's just, you know, call a spade a spade here. Yeah. Um, Cesare married Charlotte Dolbre, who was the sister of King John III of Navarre. Um, this gave an important alliance between the Borgias and, and the French, because they were their allies at the time. Um, Cesare then teamed up with the new French king, Louis XII, because uh, Charles VIII had died. So Louis XII is now king, and Cesare teamed up with him to evade Italy in 1499 and uh, take Milan after the removal of the then-Duke Ludovico Sforza. Now, obviously, the Sforza family were against them. Um, This didn't really help the tensions between the Borgia and the Sforza families. Shock. Shock horror, yep. Um, Rodrigo took advantage of his son's military prowess, however, um, now that he'd given him a chance to prove himself, and put him in charge of a large segment of northern Italy, particularly the Romagna and Marsh regions. Um, By all accounts, he did a good job of governing them, because the people that were there actually said that they would prefer him to the the rulers that they had before. So even though he was ruthless, he was a good ruler. Um, And he was also appointed leader of the papal armies. Um, with the newfound power, Cesare then captured Imola and Forli um, from Caterina Sforza, again another Sforza, and he earned himself the title of Papal Gonfalonier, proving that he was much better as a soldier than as a cardinal. Yeah. So he obviously made the right career choice there. Yeah. Um, Rodrigo, however, saw the ushering in of a new century, when in 1500 he formalised the new papal tradition of opening a holy door on Christmas Eve and then closing it on the Christmas Day of the next year. Mm-hmm. Something which is still done on special jubilee years at St Peter's Basilica in Rome. Yeah, it's, I so mean, it's still done today. Yeah, it's something that's, that he set up, and it's... So it, at that time, things were things were looking up for them, things were going well for them, they were making all the right choices, and they had friends in all the right places, so he felt secure to be able to do this at the jubilee. Yeah, but um, unfortunately he didn't spend long in the new century... Um, in August in 1503, both Rodrigo and Cesare, Cesare even, fell ill just a few short days after they dined with Cardinal Castellesi. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Cesare was saved, 
through the uh, the drastic procedures to save him uh, that disfigured him. Yeah, he ended up having to wear a leather mask across his face. Some people said it was syphilis, some people said it was a result of this, but he ended up covering his face Phantom of the Opera style. Well, unfortunate. It was too late for Rodrigo, though. On the 18th of August, 1503, Rodrigo Borgia died. Uh-oh. Some tried to say he was poisoned, others uh, that he just died of disease such as malaria. But either way, his body decomposed really quickly and he had to be covered with a tapestry when presented to the people so not to cause any distress. It was it was a tradition at the time that when the when the Pope or the Pontiff died, um, the the people worshipping could go up and like kiss the body and like pay respects to it, kiss the hands, kiss the feet, things like that. Nobody wanted to go near it. It was putrid, his tongue was black and swollen, his body was starting to decompose. That's where the rumours of poison came from. It was swollen, but it could have been malaria, it could have been anything. And quite a few people were taken ill at the time, so it could have been a form of a plague. They don't know. Um, the new pope that came after him, uh, Pius III, was technically an ally to the Borgias. I mean, he, he supported Cesare. Um, however, he died after only 26 days on the throne of St. Peter. So he wasn't exactly a long-reigning pontiff. Um their enemy from the start, Cardinal Della Rovere. Oh, there's that name again. Yep. He then sees his chance and uh, he, using methods that he criticised Rodrigo for, was then elected Pope and he became Pope Julius II. And he used everything in his power to frustrate Cesare, who at the time was engaged against Ferdinand II of Aragon. Um, now, Ferdinand II of Aragon is the, if I remember rightly, the father of Catherine of Aragon, who married Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. So another connection there. Um, so Cesare was captured and he was imprisoned and he, he was transferred and ended up in the castle of La Motta near Segovia. Um, he escaped from there and with the help of John III of Navarre, they captured Vienna and tried to lay siege to the castle there. So they captured the town, tried to lay siege to the castle. Um, on the 11th of March 1507, so this is four years after, more or less, after Rodrigo's death, um, they were in the siege, it was a really, really bad storm, and a group of knights left the castle under the cover of the storm. Um, Cesare was really quite annoyed at how ineffective the siege had become. Um, he was getting peed off with it all, so he decided to give chase. Alone. He turpined. He turpined. He turpined so badly and fatally, because as soon as they realised he was alone, he was ambushed. Um, he was mortally wounded by a spear wound, and his body, including his leather mask, was stripped and he was left naked but for a red tile to cover his genitals. At least they were... D- Are you trying to say at least they protected his modesty? Because that's that's not okay. <laughs> that's, that's not okay. <laughs> they, I, I did say he was a babe, and they stripped him. They stripped him down and they left him there in the middle of a storm, bleeding to death. At this point, Lucretia was in her <laughs> third marriage, um, namely as um, Cesare had killed her second husband. As he did. And by all accounts, she was quite happy in this marriage until she died at the age of 39. Mm-hmm. Um, a mystery surrounds her, though, um, that one of the infirm Romanists... Um, a small child with whom she was seen on occasion called Giovanni. Right. Um, His true parentage is unconfirmed. However, it has been rumoured to be the son of either Rodrigo 
or Cesare through incestuous relations with Lucretia. So there's this baby that she is seen with quite often Mm -hmm. who is possibly the father from her brother or her dad. Yeah, I mean, they call him the Infans Romanus, which it just basically means the the Roman child or the child of Rome, um, because nobody knew who he was or anything. They just sort of... His name was Giovanni, but they didn't know. They didn't really know. So, uh, obviously... Rumours rumours abound, and a lot of their enemies would use that to, to slander them. Mm. So if it was an illegitimate child by a lover, not necessarily Rodrigo or mm. Cesare, I do kind of feel sorry for her. I do, because her death as well. She actually died of sepsis, mm-hmm. but the sepsis was ten days after she gave birth to a stillborn little girl. Yeah, I mean, back then, childbirth could, and most often was fatal. It was was a terrifying thing for women to go through. So she would have, she's lost her father, she's lost her big brother, um, big brothers, both of them are gone. Um, Not entirely sure what's happening to Giovanni at this point, he just sort of fades away, if I'm honest. Um, He does lead some military campaigns with some success, but he just sort of fades away. Um, So she's on her own. And she dies in that way after the grief of losing a child as well. And she finally was in a marriage that she was happy in. Yeah, she was a patron of the arts and everything. It's sad. It's sad, yeah. I I think she's a much maligned character, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, we've already mentioned Machiavelli using Cesare Borgia as a model for his work, The Prince, on account of his political and military continual quest for power with determination and ruthlessness. However, another historical name drop right here. Um, another famous friend to the Borgias was none other than Leonardo da Vinci himself. Ah, that painter-sculptor guy. Painter, sculptor, mathematician, scientist, inventor. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cesare was actually his patron for a while. I think it, was, it, was, it wasn't very long. It was about a year, year and a half. Um, and although da Vinci didn't actually do any apparent artistic work for Cesare that we know of... Um, he was the inspector of his fortresses. So he'd go around inspecting and improving his fortresses. And trust me, if there was one person you wanted to inspect your armaments, it would be the man who invented the giant crossbow. Yeah, he's pretty badass. Pretty badass. He was. Pre- I mean, he rarely finished anything, mm-hmm. but he was awesome. Yes, yeah, so uh, when Lucretia died in 1519, the Borgia dynasty had come to an end. Although their legacy lived on through various religious and political familial connections, Francis Borgia was... He was canonised, wasn't he? He was one of their descendants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After his death, but they never again reached the heights of Rodrigo and his brood. The family had all but died out by the end of the 1700s. I mean, there's probably still some descendants milling around there, out there somewhere. But yeah, that was... That was pretty much the end of the Borgias, yeah, with capital B. Um, whilst what they did is is probably shocking by today's standards, um, the Borgias I think do have quite a bad rap, and they've been villainised successfully by their contemporaries. So they've gone down in history as as more or less a byword for corruption and debauchery. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, they weren't that extraordinary for the time. They were pretty much a product of their time. Um, it was it wasn't an era where you had to be corrupt to get ahead. You had to be ruthless. You had to be politically savvy to get ahead and to stay ahead as well. And it was a point where... It was a game where the slightest move could not just cost you your your wealth or your home. It could cost you your life. So you're saying it's like a 
a Game of Thrones? I am. Hey. Yeah. But yeah, it, it literally is you win or you die. So, to be honest with you, I I kind of like the Borgias because I think they're an interesting family and, you know, there's never a dull moment, really. And that's that's one of the intrigues with them. But I don't think that they are anywhere near as bad as they're painted out to be. I think mostly TV, novels, things like that have have much to answer for on that score. As entertaining as it is. Yeah. So, that's the Borgias. That was like a whistle-stop tour of the Borgias. Yeah, I mean, we might come back at a later date and maybe go more into depth into, say, Cesare or Rodrigo. Probably not much point in going into depth in uh, Giovanni because he wasn't alive for very long, or Pedro Luis because he wasn't alive for very long. <laughs> so, <laughs> probably not. But um, the others, maybe. We might yeah. revisit them. Um, if, obviously, there's any information that you think we've missed out tonight or anything that we've got wrong, let us know. Leave us a review on iTunes. Yep. Right, so we've come to the end of the podcast, so mm-hmm. it's ridiculous death time. Woohoo! Um, this one is ironic and a little bit ridiculous, obviously. Okay. So, there is this guy called Hans Streiniger. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Right. Um, he lived in a little town in Austria mm-hmm. called um, Braunau. Um, you're better with... Uh, pronunciations than me Brownell um in yeah and um that is most often remembered as the birthplace of uh, Adolf Hitler but Ooh. that's just for that's just a little bit of history tidbit for you it's got nothing to do with this ridiculous death um he was the mayor of that town back mm-hmm. in 1567 okay and he was quite popular though um there isn't much known about his life just the fact that he was well liked by his people and uh, one thing that he was known for is his impressive facial hair. Mm-hmm. Stringinger um, had a four and a half foot long beard that hung from his face. And it was oh. complete with a forked tip. So he was quite proud of his beard. Um, it's actually, um, and now he's died, it's actually on uh, display in a museum in Austria. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Um, he used, yeah. Um, he used to keep his facial hair rolled up and neatly tucked into a pocket. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously it must have took years of hard work and dedication to grow such a beard. Yeah. And you wouldn't want anyone to trip on it or to get it muddy on the ground or anything. No. Unfortunately, on one fateful night in autumn, he did just that. Oh. Um, September the 28th, 1567, a fire broke out in his town. Mm-hmm. And um, and that is usually the case. The fire caused a fair amount of panic, and being the mayor of the town, Ostrinegger was at the centre of it. Um, at some point, he attempted to quell the commotion, and his beard came loose from his pocket. Right. And of course, as the town was on fire, he didn't take the time to roll it back up again, and simply just pushed it out of the way. This was his downfall. While standing at the top of a flight of stairs, in the midst of all the chaos... He stepped on his own beard and tripped. He slipped, he tumbled down the entire flight of stairs and broke his neck and died. Did did you literally mean to say it was his downfall? I did! <laughs> <laughs> the, pun, the best puns are the ones you don't intend to do. Oh yeah. dear. So he... Uh, he went down. He did not yell timber. He did not. 
He um, was the mayor of a city that was on fire. He tried to help, bless him, and tripped over his... Uh, stood on his own beard and fell down the stairs and broke his neck. That is unfortunate. So were all, all, these, all these young hipsters out there that are trying to, trying to grow their beards, just keep it at a, uh, a non-trippable length, please, gentlemen. If you could be so kind, we'd, we'd rather not have you do a Steiniger. Yep. Yeah. So make sure that you, if you have a beard that's four and a half foot long, with a uh, forked at the end, keep it in your pocket. Or shave. Those hipsters are liking their beards at the minute. This is true. Steiniger was just a hipster of the 1560s. The ultimate hipster. He was a hipster before it was cool. But then he fell down the stairs and died. So listen to that, kids. Lesson every day. (laughs) Right. Until next time. Speak to you next Tuesday.